this, you know, we've talked about a bunch, this protest night where a lot of them came back together, had this night together. It was great. There's New Year's. Everyone came together, had this night together. It was variously great. Um, there was, uh, there's the <laughs> funeral. <laughs> Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Yes, welcome back, everyone. Excited to get to be talking about theater with all of you out there in podcast land. Yeah, and today we're talking about a musical which has so much relevancy in the world, especially as this episode is coming out, because of its relationship with a very popular and growing more and more in popularity every day right now, uh, movie musical that just premiered as well. And so I, I, I don't think think we decided to do this based on that right i mean we had this scheduled out a while back it's hard for me to remember right but, right uh, yeah <laughs> yeah but it is fortuitous that uh we are going to be talking about rent today by jonathan larson at a roughly similar times that the movie musical tick tick boom came out on netflix yeah, and, and both Jackson and I have seen Tick, Tick, Boom recently in regards to this episode, and it, it's a really, really good movie musical. It's it's very engaging. I am a huge Andrew Garfield fan, so he is he's amazing in that movie. I, really, everybody is. That cast is an incredible cast of a lot of uh, Broadway old hats are in the movie, not just yeah. for the mm-hmm. cameo scenes, but playing characters. It's really interesting. Um but one of the things that was so interesting to me about Tick, Tick, Boom is I just learned so much about Jonathan Larson. I mean, it, it's so long ago now in the sweep of our culture that Rent premiered and everything that happened with Larson happened that the, the sense of who he was and the excitement about what he was going to bring to the world of theater, that excitement, which is now around someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda. Of course, it's it's so appropriate that he directed the movie, but that same kind of excitement that culture feels about someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda, that was very much the feeling about Jonathan Larson as 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 rent was getting ready to premiere off broadway yeah yeah it it is interesting the parallels there just this kind of really new rock opera fresh american musical sort of feel that jonathan jonathan larson was bringing and that uh you know exe- is exemplified throughout his work and certainly uh, memorialized in rent that has had this amazing run you know many many years had a had a tour last year we'll get into the context in a minute but uh yeah it's it's become such a part of theater history made a lot of big changes in the musical scene so I'm excited that we're finally kind of turning our attention to it. Yeah, it's really worth your time, Tick, Tick, Boom, If you, especially if you just want to see some of the other music that Jonathan Larson wrote. I mean, uh, in, the, in that tragic incident, of course, he died so young that we didn't get to see what he was going to do with the rest of his career. So getting to see some of his early stuff and hear some of his other music, uh, some of the music that he wrote, it, you, you all find out as you watch Tick, Tick, Boom why the music was written by Jonathan Larson. I know that's sort of strange to say, but right. it was, and it's some of his earlier music, and it's... Uh, Really good. I mean, I, I, some of those songs I like, frankly, better than anything in Rent, and I like the music of Rent. 
Yeah, yeah, no, there's some really powerful songs, really powerhouse, really good performances, as we said. Great, great film. Y'all should watch it. <laughs> and it's uh, it's it's just not about Rent at all. When I walked in, I was assuming it was about the writing of Rent. I really knew nothing about the movie, but so it's it's not about that. So we're not really going to talk more about it, I don't think. So this is our little tick tick boom gush session before we move right. on to Rent. <laughs> right. There, there's our nod to tick tick boom, and now we're going to jump into the conversation around Rent, the musical. Uh, however, before before we do, I want to take just a second and thank all of our patrons over on patreon.com slash podcast for being a part of making this show happen. Thank you all so much. We are completely supported by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. If you're looking for a way to help out the show, whether you've been listening for a long time or just kind of finding this episode because of because we're talking about rent, um, <laughs> we would love for you to check out patreon.com slash podcast. You'll find another number of different tiers over there for as little as $1. You can help out the show and that $1 amount, $12 over the course of a year, helps us out enormously. So if you're looking for a way to help out the show, that's a great way to do it. Thank you to everyone who's already become a patron of No Script the Podcast. And for those of you who are curious, and looking to uh, find a way to be a part of the NoScript community. We will see you over there. Yes, big thank you, as always, to those of you who support us on Patreon. We're ever grateful for the chance to do this podcast. And now, back to the script. Here we go. All right, that's my drink of coffee before I dive in. (laughs) Because, uh, look, sometimes the synopsis is hard to do. Uh, <laughs> most of the time it's harder to do than the context. And sometimes both parts are equally challenging and difficult. I think this right. is one of those times. I don't know how Jackson's going to synopsize rent. I'm kind of glad I got the context, but then again, <laughs> boy, how do you, how do you put into English words the, the, context the impact yeah. the the legacy of this musical this is one of the most impactful cultural musicals uh of my lifetime um there are more coming out of course i think hamilton is is up there nowadays um and and many others and it's not that's not to say that those are my two favorites or anything like that really neither of them are my two favorites but they are so impactful to the culture they have swept popular music i mean people who don't like the theater who don't know anything about it have seen the movie adaption of rent and can sing the songs uh till the end of the day it, it's just it has so influenced our culture that I will not be able to grasp it. So I'm not really going to try. I'm going to give you just a sense of the sweep of the life of it. And hopefully, if you're already listening to this episode, you already have some sense of all the, the cultural world that, that Rent has swept its tendrils into. This was, uh, of course, it's by Jonathan Larson. It's an early project, actually, from Jonathan Larson's life. He worked on it with someone else for a while. Um, And then that project was sort of set aside. My my understanding of the story is that they were kind of overwhelmed by what they were trying to do. And so they sort of put the project into a desk drawer for a while. Um, And Jonathan Larson went on to work on some other projects, like what you'll see in Tick, Tick, Boom. And then it came back to it. And Larson decides that he wants to go ahead and fill out 
this project that he had been working on with the partner. And he apparently there were some artistic differences about the title. Um, and so ultimately, Larson said, OK, I'm going to rewrite some of this. And then I'd like your permission, partner, to just call it my musical. I'm going to move forward with it as my project. There was an agreement made. It made it to Broadway. So certain names and credits had to appear in certain places. But we now think of Rent as a musical by Jonathan Larson. It, it had its first workshop in 93 at the New York Theater Workshop, um, opened in Broadway in 1996, or off-Broadway, I'm sorry, in, in 96. Um, and famously, Jonathan Larson passes away, um, probably from an undiagnosed uh, complication of Marfan syndrome. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and he passes away the night before the musical is set to premiere off Broadway. I mean, this this is this is real. This happened. It sounds like it's a plot from a musical, but in fact, this is the true reality of how Rent came to be. And, and some of what Rent is and why it became what it did is based on this happening to Jonathan Larson and his his really painful. Uh, untimely tragic passing before the opening of his show Rent. Interestingly, at the front of my script of the copy that I read in preparation for this, there's sort of a PSA about Marfan syndrome, how to recognize the symptoms and diagnose it. That was, I think I have sort of an early perusal script that uh, maybe was put out there in hopes that this would not happen or in... Um, in in celebration or in memory of uh, who Jonathan Larson was. So that happens. Uh, Off-Rabbi opening, the, the very first opening night ends up becoming like a sing-through, a celebration of Larson. The cast, famously, you can still watch the video of them doing this, uh, dedicates this performance of Rent and like, uh, uh, they say something like, every performance going forward to the memory of their friend Jonathan Larson. It's a big moment for the theater world, especially New York at the time. Um, this is the 90s, so it's not quite as universal as it is now. And um, the musical opens. It opens to critical acclaim. It opens to huge popular enthusiasm. It moves to Broadway that year, 1996. And get this, does not close until 2008. Yeah, twelve years. The original production of Broadway, or of Broadway of Rent, ran on Broadway. Twelve years. It became one of the longest-running Broadway musicals of all time in that stint. Um, uh, during that run on Broadway, there was a famous movie, 2005 movie. I think most people nowadays know the movie more than the stage musical. It's kind of hard to produce the stage musical, to be real honest with you. So a lot of people see the movie and, and don't ever end up seeing it on stage, which is a shame because a lot is cut from the movie that is in the stage musical um, that I think really fills out the world that Larson was hoping to create. So um, the, the movie features a lot of the original Broadway cast and then some additions and changes besides that. Um, great movie. Go see that too. Uh, the Broadway musical ends up winning four Tonys for that original production. Best musical, best musical book, best original score, and best featured actor. That award went to the actor who plays Angel. Um, it won six drama desks, and of course it won the 1996 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Between then and the most recent Broadway tour, the thing goes crazy. It tours all over the world. It has productions in regional professional houses. Colleges do it. Everybody does it. Rent is a huge thing. People know the songs. They're singing them to each other on the street. It's it's incredible. It goes everywhere. And then um, in 2016, and this is not the 
it's not the revival tour. There was another revival tour. There was a UK tour. There was all these different tours. But the most recent tour is the 2016 uh, 25th anniversary farewell tour, which runs for five years or four years, however you want to count it, um, and, and ends up closing uh, right as the pandemic is starting in 2020. And so it, that had a long life, too, for being just like another one of the revivals in this farewell to rent tour. That's the, boy, the kind of the biggest, highest bird's view of the life of what Rent is. There have been tons of documentaries, of YouTube videos, of all of these people trying to conceptualize and contextualize what Rent is, what it meant when it came out, and what it means now. I mean, this is a musical of and for the 1990s. And to its credit, I think, it you never forget it's a musical from the 90s when you're experiencing Rent. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of things were in the kind of cultural zeitgeist at that point. It was the turn of the century, not only the turn of the century, the turn of the millennia. Um, so so this kind of uh, angst uh, is in the air there. There's also, especially in New York, the AIDS epidemic is is rampant at this time. And the, the quote that I'll start off the synopsis with is from Jonathan Larson. Um, and it says, Rent is about a community celebrating life in the face of death and AIDS at the turn of the century. That like squarely sets us in the uh, in in the starting place in the setting of this script focuses on a group of friends and we meet them uh, in New York at like Christmas Eve and uh, the they're they're trying to pay rent they're trying they're naming all of these things that they're all going through they're trying to pay rent they're dealing with uh, their friends getting sick with AIDS the kind of core group of friends there's Mark and Roger who are uh, current roommates um, uh, uh, Mark is a filmographer trying to make his you know, first big film, and Roger is a musician trying to write his first big song. Um, we then uh, quickly meet Tom, or Collins, as he is in the script. Um, Collins kind of comes into town, and he's kind of crashing it there again. We, we learned that they were all living together for a while. And then Benny and Maureen are all this kind of core group of friends that all lived together in this apartment for a while, but have since kind of split ways a little bit. Only Mark and Roger are still in the apartment together. Collins comes back on his way. He calls up because uh, it's the only way that he can get the keys to get into the apartment. He calls up from this phone booth and uh, he's uh, beaten up at the phone booth, but they're driven back by Angel, who is uh, a man dressed in drag that we meet um, and they uh, connect uh, pretty quickly and uh, Angel Angel takes care of Collins and brings him upstairs and kind of throws this party for the group uh, on the money that he had from a gig that he got earlier in the day um, to kill someone's dog from his singing, um, which we later find out is Benny's dog, which is just a great uh, kind of um, weaving of the plot together. Benny is the other big character. Um, uh, uh, from this. Benny was a roommate of theirs. He got married. He married into some wealth. He bought the building that they're in and promised that they would never have to pay rent and also bought the building next door and is wanting to put in this big uh, kind of arts event space. But to do so, he has to evict this lot um, that is full of homeless folks. Um, and uh, in response to that, his uh, friend group, first of all, thinks that he's sold out um, and are somewhat resentful for that. Um, and also Maureen, who is not living anymore within this group, who used to date Mark, um, is now dating Joanne um, and is throwing this kind of protest concert uh, to try to get um, enough, enough of a media attention around this eviction to try to stop it from happening. Um, 
<laughs> the, it's odd trying to synopsize this plot, which is so like there's so many beloved musical numbers in what I've just <laughs> described. Really, the gonna... vast majority of the play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm going to keep going. Um, the other big character that we meet within the first uh, 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 chunk of this script is Mimi. Mimi is uh, a neighbor of theirs. Mimi comes over when Roger is there alone. He decides not to go to the concert at first, um, so he's left alone, and Mimi comes over uh, ostensibly to try to get him to help light her candle, but um, she ends up coming on to him. They they have a bit of a uh, back and forth here. However, Roger, as we have found out earlier on, has tested positive for HIV. So he is kind of dealing with this reality. He's trying to, he's not really wanting to tell Mimi about it, but he, and thus he said he tries to push her away. Um, and uh, they, they kind of part ways. Eventually that whole group goes to uh, Maureen's performance, which is this performance art piece um, that Mark has helped her kind of get the sound on. Joanne has been trying to help Maureen get the sound working and just can't figure it out. So she finally has to cave, call Mark or, or Maureen calls Mark and Mark shows up. There's a, the iconic song, the tango Maureen in this scene. Um, this friend group Might goes to this concert. It's my favorite a- song in the musical. <laughs> it's it's a great Maureen. one. I don't know. It'd be hard to pick, but boy, I like that song. Yep. This friend group uh, kind of uh, manages to get a pretty good riot going um, that night and get a lot of media attention around it. And they all go to this pub together or this bar together to celebrate. Interestingly, Benny is also there with some investors for the building, including his father-in-law. And so there's this kind of confrontational scene between the uh, core group of friends and Benny and the establishment, which is the famous uh, song La Bihoem. I don't know if I said that right. I probably didn't. Um, but uh, but the famous song uh, and and everyone is kind of rotating around that. In that scene, there is a, a particular moment where um, everyone's kind of, um, I'm forgetting the exact word, but the alarms go off for them to take their meds for their AIDS. Uh, or I'm sorry, for their HIV. And uh, four characters' alarms go off, including Mimi and Rogers. And in that moment, they discover that they both have HIV and um, uh, there's this, this connection between them and they can thus kind of move forward with that new information. The uh, next uh, kind of chunk of the script takes us to New Year's, and uh, this friend group is kind of rotating around each other still. They're all pretty close. This is within a week of the events of the of the first part of the script. The fallout has been Benny has evicted them from the apartment. They're breaking back in for New Year's. Benny shows up. There's been a lot of media attention around this event, and uh, he's decided to kind of give them back the apartment, wants Mark to record him saying it so that he'll be on the news, etc. And uh, they're kind of singing in this new year. Um, together in this scene. The rest of the play, that's that's about, I think that's 30 of the 42 scenes is what I've just described. The last 12 scenes occupy the rest of the year. This play takes place over the course of a year, thus the famous 525,600 minutes song. Um, it, this, it just follows the life of this friend group for a year and follows um, the 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 way that this friend group kind of falls apart over the next year. A pretty notable uh, facet of it is uh, Collins, Roger, and Angel are all fighting uh, HIV, and eventually Angel dies of of AIDS. And um, the group mourns angel um there's there's a, a, a the there's the a hospital scene which is a really powerful uh scene for angel where angel kind of 
goes into the light. Um, and then there's a following scene in the church where they've all gathered together to celebrate Angel. And at that scene, we really see the friend group fracturing out. During the course of this time, it's become clear that Mimi and Benny have had a relationship before. And so Mimi is with Benny and that's hurt Roger profoundly. Um, and, and there's some conflict there. So Roger is going to move away. He's selling his guitar, getting a car, going out to Santa Fe. And, uh, and the, the friend group is dissolving. The kind of uh, biggest, the, the biggest deal at the end of that is Mark and Roger have this really contentious song back and forth about kind of critiquing each other and how they are both like doing some things, but kind of living hip hypocritically in the other way, following their art, selling out to whoever. Um, and this culminates then in every, those two especially finding their song and their film, uh, kind of choosing their art with the help of uh, Angel's uh, uh, influence on their life and then uh, re rejoining again at the very end of, of the play. Uh, uh, Roger comes back from California to New York. They're back in the apartment. Joanne and Maureen have had uh, quite a bit of contention over the year uh, in the big kind of post uh post-performance uh, art night at the bar. Maureen has uh, returned to Mark for a moment and uh, they were making out and Joanne saw them together. So there's been a bunch of contention between Maureen and Joanne over the year. However, they, they continue to kind of tango with each other, um, uh, move in and out of relationship with each other, eventually coming together at the end. The last scene of the play, uh, they find Mimi. Mimi uh, has gone, uh, last time we saw Mimi, she went off with Benny after the funeral, said that she's going into rehab. Marine and Joanne find her on a park bench and bring her up to the apartment and she's dying. Um, I, I, I think I've forgotten to say at this point, she is, she is, uh, yes, she uh, is HIV positive, but also she is addicted to cocaine. And um, she's been dealing with that throughout the play. She goes into rehab to try to deal with that. They find her on a park bench, bring her up to the apartment. She is uh, dying essentially in this scene. And uh, Mark, or I'm sorry, Roger sings her his song that he wrote over the course of the year that is very much about her. Um, it's, it seems to, for, for all appearances that she is, she is dead, but she comes back in kind of the last, uh, moments of the play saying that she has seen Angel and Angel told her to turn back around and listen to that boy's song. And, uh, she comes back and that's the, uh, that's the end of the play is this kind of friend group together after having been splintered apart, still lots of things about them that are splintered apart and unresolved and still to, uh, kind of lean into the tension of, but yet, uh, together for this moment after a year has passed, um, as, as much as they can be, of course, with the notable absence of Angel. Yeah, wow, good job. That's, uh, That's There's so <laughs> much going on. And it, this is truly, truly, truly an ensemble show. It, it's very difficult to identify, like, a center story and then there are subplots around it. I mean, some things are clearly not as important, not as important as others to the overall story of Rent. But, boy, like, I was trying to, as I read through the show, write for myself, just in a sense of, like, what is the, we use the term inciting incident. You don't have to use that if you don't want to. But, like, what causes the action of this musical to happen? Why are we watching this musical today, right? These are people that 
that have lived a whole life and they have lived a lot of it in these really tough circumstances, but loving each other as a group. And all of the, the themes of the show are just also part of their lives. So wh- why are we watching this year? Why do we pick out these days of this year? I was trying to keep track of myself. What are the important things that spur off the action of the play? And I came up with, I don't think you could identify anything less than four different inciting incidents for this play. Meeting Angel is a huge event. It changes everything for the course of these characters. So that, I think, has to be one of those things. Rent does not happen if they do not meet Angel. At the same time, Benny coming to kick them out is, is seems like a major event. It's it's a little bit of a trick though, because they them getting kicked out of this loft does not really end up being a that impactful of a thing in their lives. They they break in on New Year's Eve, but then like Benny comes by later that night and says, "I I don't care. You can stay here." Um, so that's, that seems like a really big deal at the beginning of the show. Whether it stays a big deal through, I'm not sure. The protest, right, is it the fact that the protest is tonight, and this protest is sort of the reason why this sort of expansive, extended family of friends comes together at this night, and that drives so much of the action. Or is it Mimi? Is Mimi coming into the life of Roger? I don't think you could really... The show doesn't make sense. The action of the show doesn't make sense without all four of those things occurring to push everything forward at once. Yeah, no, I think th- I think you've summed them up really well. There's a great song late in the play. Mark is outside the church um, uh, at Angel's funeral, and Mark is reflecting on a very similar question. How did we get here? How did this all happen? And he names a number of those things. Angel saving Collins, uh, the equipment breaking down at Marine's, at Marine's uh, concert, um, and all, all these things, uh, Mimi, Mimi knocking on the door and talking to Roger, all these things have bound this friend group together very quickly, um, and intensely over the year and each of them matters quite a bit i mean if you if you really want to like go like how this friend group got here to start with you could go back further and say you know benny leaving the apartment or collins leaving the apartment is some some uh start of the fracturing of the friend group but as far as the action of the play is concerned Collins, I, I, Collins returning and, and Angel rescuing him is a big one in my mind um, of, of kind of watching how this friend group forges uh, over the course of one night, essentially. Again, like 20-some scenes of this play uh, of the 42 are in one night. Yeah, I think Angel coming into their lives and Mimi coming into their lives in that Christmas Eve night that is the first three quarters of the show or whatever. Uh, Those are, I think, the most important two incidents that tell us why the next year in the life of Mark and Roger and Collins is going to be different than any of the previous years, right? I mean, that's it's the question of drama, right? Why why this day? Why this year? Why these sequence of events? And And I think Mimi and Angel and how they come in and alter the narrative that is being experienced by these people is a really strong indication. And it's a, it, I think it points back to the theme, I guess, is my sort of rambling point, right? That, that it's more about the relationships than the events of their lives. I think, I think that is something that's crucial in order to understand Rent and to appreciate it. Because truthfully, if you're here for a densely plotted and carefully structured sequence of character actions, pursuing goals, crashing into each other, uh, everything growing towards this major decision, I mean, that is not rent, 
Rent yeah. is about the the relationships, the love formed and shared and adjusted and evolved and stretched and pushed all through this year in the life of friends, to quote Seasons of Love. Right, absolutely. The kind of intricacies of their relationship as they as they weave around their lives and the intricacies of their relationship as they deal with the um with the oppressive force of this epidemic that is in their lives as well. Probably the other big inciting incident of the play is the the AIDS epidemic in New York. Uh, Roger and Collins, it, within this friend group, uh, at the start of the play at least, Roger and Collins having HIV, um, or being HIV positive, is is a huge part. Uh, you, we find it out really early on um, uh, from Roger, um, and, and so that that's a huge part of the reason why Roger is as angsty as he is. Why this friend group is rallying around them as much as they are is because of this 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 other big force in their lives that none of them can control, all while living through the end of a millennia in a situation that everyone's living for their art in a, in a, in a town that is out to get them sometimes. So all of that kind of provides the the boiling uh, the pressure cooker for these relationships to forge. Yeah, so much has happened for Roger. I, you you just can't help but empathize with him and the tough situation he's in in his life, right? We learn very early on that not only did he contract HIV, but he contracted it from a longstanding relationship with a woman named April who committed suicide on the day that she told him in a letter that they were HIV positive. On top of that, as if that were not enough, he is also a recovering heroin addict, and this woman who walks into his life, Mimi, is an active heroin user, and yet there is this intention, this close-knit, this this bond between them, this something between them that's so well-developed over the sequence of songs early in the show um, that, that causes him to come out of whatever it is, even though it's into more danger. I, I think... Th- for Roger, the danger of being in this intimate, vulnerable relationship with an active heroin user while he himself is trying to stay sober from heroin is a, is a difficult and complicated part of his journey. Yeah, there's there's numerous scenes. There's a scene where he like intervenes um, with Mimi's dealer and and tries to get Mimi to get the the first scene the 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 candle scene is is a lot about he recognizes right away that she is using and and so there's a lot of a lot of his uh, kind of. Uh, yeah, tension around that relationship um, is is in that zone. However, that I I, I don't know if it it seems like his his deciding whether or not to tell her or not that he has uh, that he's HIV positive is is the kind of the main uh, reason why he's pushing her away actively. Um, but but certainly the 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 uh, kind of ongoing sadness or anger actually i think roger more expresses himself through anger the ongoing anger that he feels uh towards her is is kind of pushed in that direction as she continues to uh to struggle with her addiction to it yeah and 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 you're right to point out the the prevalence of the hiv epidemic as it it it, you know it 
so much of the the American drama, especially as you get into the '90s, is is dealing with this moment in our country's history. And we've on this podcast, we I may miss one just because I didn't look carefully through the list of scripts before I said this, but we've at least talked about two major pieces of drama that are in some way an exploration of the HIV and AIDS epidemic. We looked at Angels in America by Tony Kushner, one of the most famous um, histories and documentaries. And it's not a documentary, but it's that kind of documenting of the experience of this of a community of people fighting this and we looked at Lonely Planet by Stephen Dietz which is a play I'm immensely fond of and that deals with the HIV epidemic as well and it's you you add rent on to this now trio of plays and this this theme of of losing people. It's not even a theme. It's an experience of losing people, attending funeral after funeral of people in their 20s, of younger people than that, of people who had a life ahead of them. And it, it to me, it is that that experience which pull which which makes the title of rent what it is and the theme of rent what it is if you read a little bit about the history of the show i think i said this in my context the title of the show was a major artistic grapple um i, I forget the name of the partner that larson worked with but that person was not very fond of the title rent um and i'm a title snob and it's it's one word but it's impactful and it's memorable but the thing that i love about it is how closely it relates to the theme right there's this question of whether or not they're going to be able to pay their rent to Benny but like I said that 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 threat kind of goes out from them by the middle of the show but the ongoing theme they sing it very early in the show and then they echo it later on everything is rent everything is rent the idea that you can't own things they just go away from you you hold them for a short time you're renting them in one of the great love songs of the show they sing uh, i know you can't buy love or something like this some of you will be mad at me for not being able to quote this but it's something <laughs> like i know you can't buy love but but i can rent it and a new lease you are my love right this this it, I guess what I'm saying is that really directly relates to the experience of the HIV epidemic, right? It, the, when people are just dying all around you, you all you have is rent, right? You just have this short time. It's just a rental on the time that you share with each other. That theme is then echoed again uh, uh, powerfully in in the songs that you've mentioned, and also in the song "Without You." Um, that, that's the the, the there's a, a scene where there's kind of a musical beds is what it's called, and one of the beds is a hospital bed, and people keep sitting on different beds throughout the song as Mimi and Roger sing "Without You." Um, and that that that's a, a really powerful imagery. It's also the scene where we slowly watch uh, uh, Collins and Angel together as Angel is dying. So it's this it's a really impactful scene. Brings home um, that that sense of loss, that sense of of kind of temporary, transient un- inability to hold on to things in light of 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 the way the world is. And 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 yeah, the the kind of temporary rent sort of situation that all of these relationships have, and the the willingness. Uh, the it comes at such a great time in the in the script too because Roger and Mimi are fighting Joanne and uh, Maureen are fighting and and uh, Angel and Collins are are in this moment together so you see these three couples all rotating around and through the 
these different beds and and you see them uh, eventually come together again by the end of the song. They 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 have more moments of contention after the song, um, but but through the course of the song and through the reflection on this theme, these three couples all come together even as Collins uh, is saying goodbye to Angel. And that's just one of the the many sort of scene songs that make a lot of this musical so engaging. Some of the musicals that I struggle with are when the the characters are not really in a moment actively against each other or with each other or or moving back and forth. And, and some of those parts of the musical are not as engaging to me personally as some of the parts of the musical, which are just so good. I mean, they just here's a short list of songs that I just think are so good. Light My Candle, right? Uh, Mimi and Roger, it's an iconic song musical. They're in this moment together. There's a negotiation. There's a, each of these characters are in a different place. They're coming together. They're, they're pursuing something. They're against each other. Uh, the Tango Maureen I mentioned, Take Me or Leave Me, one of the great breakup songs of all of musical theater, Take Me or Leave Me. Uh, you'll See Boys, right? One of the few Benny songs that really has him in a moment trying to convince other people of things, trying to win them to his side. It's, it's an active acting scene. Um, and I think Another Day is that way too. And not to say that all the other songs in the show are bad or anything. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the moments in the musical where the characters come into a song and there is something actively happening between them are so strong. I would just want to celebrate those moments of the musical, which are just so good. Yeah, no, absolutely. The kind of uh, there's there's this like. Uh, so so they're good in like a dramatic sense and they're also good in this like way that Jonathan Larson can write songs. Yeah, if, if you, again, um, oh, this is maybe our last reference to Tick, Tick, Boom. We'll see, but yeah. don't see Tick, Tick, Boom because you'll see some of his other songs where he does this thing just as well. I mean, you can really yeah. see it's not an accident that he does this in Rent. He's really good at this, or, or he was, this, I like, guess, sadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This like building cacophony that he can make, except it's not a cacophony. It's a really uh, precise harmonic wave <laughs> of sound. The way that all the voices work together. So, I mean, there are, there are times that the words fly by you so fast that you you don't catch everyone. But it's not because um, you're you, they're, they're they're not getting their moment. It's because they're going by so quickly. Um, there's there's so many characters speaking, and each of them pipes up at different points. You know, it's it's one of those it's those one of those musicals that you really got to pay attention to your cues as an actor because they fly by you. And uh, the the but but when you when when they get pulled off really well, they they create this symphony of just human voice in the, with with a rock band behind it um, that that just like pushes into themes, pushes into this, uh, you know, really important uh, uh, character uh, descriptions and development, but also just the experience of the music and it washing over you in these in these sonic waves that 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 is just so impressive to watch get pulled off. Yeah, you're totally right. The the experience of the musical is sort of this roller coaster or this whiplash back and forth between these moments where there it's it's a cacophony of life in New York City. And there's there's transient folks on the streets, there's shops people, there's parents, there's all there's the characters that we meet, right? There's all this stuff that happens on top of each other and really the experiences of trying to pull threads from all of these things happening at the same time and you you sort of whiplash or you roller coaster 
from that to then these intimate one-on-one scenes. These uh, They're very much just like any scene from any kind of psychological drama play. Two characters in a moment together. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. They're going to come together or they're going to drift apart. They're just in this incredibly uh, well-written musical dialogue kind of world. Um, and and it, it going back and forth between these two places really, I think, is the 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 movement through rent it's the movement of i have these intimate sort of almost isolating conflicts with my friends my neighbors the people closest to me where i'm trying to hold the things that are important to me up against the things that are important to them but i also live in new york city where there's this cacophony of life happening just outside my doors and you watch almost every individual character live between those two things back and forth and back and forth yeah, stepping seamlessly between them, like like La Vie Bohème. There's the the scene between yes, uh, Roger yes. and Mimi that's like right in the middle <laughs> of this, the, probably the the biggest number in the show, yes. where the most people are on stage, um, all singing, all kind of uh, <laughs> rattling off this this eulogy to uh, La Vie Bohème, and and, and in I the middle of it, I promise that that Roger and Mimi love song would not be as impactful if as it is, and I think it's very effective one of the most effective moments in the show actually is they're stepping aside to sing this love song it's beginning to snow it, it would not be that effective if, if it did not come in the middle of lovey bohem i mean i yeah. i will hold that up absolutely yeah yeah that juxtaposition yes. uh, makes makes it make ev- that much more of an impact these you know real quick shifts from big sound lots of people to really intimate just a couple people makes those uh moments of of, of passion, of involvement, of love, of anger, land that much harder. Yeah. So we've talked about the fact that the show takes place over a year. A year in the life of... Are we allowed to sing that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't I sing it so. well enough for it to for count. That. I'll just say <laughs> right. that. For anybody worried about it, I did not sing that well enough for you to actually consider it the song. Okay, Song? What song? A Year in the Life of Friends. uh, That's the show, right? It's Christmas Eve to Christmas Eve. But as Jackson mentioned in the synopsis, the show is not only heavily weighted, but I would say very heavily weighted (laughs) (laughs) towards one night of 365, Uh which is the first, I mean, Christmas Eve in the first of the two years that you see, right? Because it's Christmas Eve to Christmas Eve is is three quarters of the play. <laughs> it's a lot of the play. Yep, yep. And then if you add like the New Year's event right after it, that takes up like two-ish, three-ish scenes. So so yeah, that's that leaves a very small amount of time for the rest of it. But most of it, yeah, most of it is centered around this like one moment for this friend group where they all, it's, it's, I wonder if this is a way to think about it. These are the moments where this friend group all got back together again. Yes. Um, and there, there are like little tiny through lines, um, like small scenes, uh, 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 that that they're apart from each other, that we get a little bit of grounding. But these, let's see, one, two, three, four moments, right, are the moments that this friend group was together before it, you know, kind of fractured really, really substantially. There's the moment at the beginning, this, this, you know, we've talked about a bunch, this protest night where a lot of them came back together, had this night together, it was great. There's New Year's, everyone came together, had this night together, it was variously great. Um, there was, uh, there's the <laughs> funeral... <laughs> <laughs> There's the funeral of Angel where they all were together. However, you really felt the the kind of ties that 
that that is binding this group together coming apart. And a lot of the pain of this group is there, but they were present. They were together. Then you have the final Christmas Eve with them all together at the very end for Mimi as well. So you have these like big uh, kind of... uh, uh, waystone moments in the play or like guiding moments of the play when these friends are together um that 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 kind of hold down their relationship over the broader scope of the year and it centers the experiment we're going to keep coming back to this probably but it, it centers the experience of the musical on the relationship of this group of friends this idea that at the core of this musical is the experience of being intimate and vulnerable with people around you and and so the way Larson has structured it which has received some criticism just to be fair that that you know for a musical about the year in the life of friends we really only get three quarters of it are about one night of 365 right, but right. so it's received some criticism but to to come to Larson's defense not that he needs my defense but to come to it 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 what it does is heavily emphasize the idea that as we move through life the thing that puts your head above water is those moments where the those people who with whom you are vulnerable come back into your life and so the musical's structure heavily weighted towards this first night and then the nights afterwards the days afterwards in which this group reassembles tells the story of the experience of a year of these people right so much of their life washes by them but what takes their head out of the flow of the river is these intimate, vulnerable encounters with those people who are closest to them. Yeah, yeah, those moments of of connection and and integration. Yeah, no, that's like... That's 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 You see that in the relationships from the beginning. When Colin shows up again, there's immediately like this, oh, here we are again. We found ourselves again. It's a different tone. There's a very very angsty uh, initial number to the musical, followed up by Colin showing back up, this general celebration, and then Angel coming in and doing this, like, drag show story of how he killed this dog for someone. (laughs) Right. In fact, you could almost say that Colin's coming back to New York, New York City, is the inciting incident, right? I mean, that's where I was yeah. back at the beginning, right? What what causes the action of the events to happen? Well, if the events of the play are this group of friends coming together to live life together, and they only do that these few times throughout the year because, hey, that's what it is to have adult friends. If you're not in high school anymore, you know. It's like, boy, right, you know, right. all you have are these few moments where the people that you're closest to come together. It's like Collins coming back into the picture is what brings us into this year and then Collins brings with him Angel and Roger brings with him Mimi and and Mark has this sort of tangential relationship with Maureen and Joanne that pulls it together and what's Benny going to do because Benny also comes into the picture at that moment and he used to be part of this group of friends yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good point. If we really wanted to zero in on one, Collins is probably the one that, that starts to change things for this group. Certainly, like, like the events would have still happened that night, probably. The protests would have still happened. Um, but a lot of the fallout of it wouldn't have happened if Angel wasn't around and if Collins wasn't around. So yeah, that's that's if it that 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 kind of watching the way that the friend group uh, starts again, the reflection of Mark at the end of the play um, is is interesting in that way. And Mark really serves as Mark as the like lens carrier, right? The the camera person of this he's play. The, he's the Nick Carraway of this musical, yeah. I think. He uh, he's less related to the plot than 
He maybe could be in a different version of the play. Um, a lot of the really active storylines, Maureen and Joanne, Roger, Mimi, Angel and Collins, and all of their relationships together are not so much about him. But he does carry this plot through about, is he going to sell his footage? Is he going to take on the work with this, uh, this agency? Is he going to go back and work on his documentary? So he has his own kind of individual storyline, which I got to admit is strangely individual given how communal the rest of the musical is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is like just a little bit of focus on him, um, kind of, kind of alone him. There's also like that, that last scene in the, in the, or at the church at Angel's funeral, um, he has this one line, uh, as he's arguing with Roger, um, where he, he like names that he is, feeling the weight of being the one to survive, um, especially of, of uh, you know, his relationship with Mark, his relationship with Collins and the kind of wondering about how long either of them will survive. He has this weight that he's carrying of, you know, what does it mean if, if I'm the one who lives and carries these stories? Um, what does it mean if I'm the one, if, if my capturing of our story on film is the way that I have to remember all of you? So you, you, there, is, there is some centralizing of Mark in, in that way, and, and it kind of carries through. He's, he's oftentimes the narrator speaking directly to the audience. Um, so, so there is this, like, slight lean in his direction uh, for for what you're right is is a very communal um collaborative show yeah and 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 the framing device is this documentary that he's making it's it's really it's what opens the play is him taking footage of roger working on this one song that roger wants to work on and then eventually his sort of his uh on top of the mountain big decision moment is like am i gonna go back to work on this documentary or am i gonna you know, the, in the language of the musical, sell his soul to go and work for like a real agency. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's uh, recurring themes throughout. These agencies keep calling him either for footage of the riot or footage of this or that, or to come on the show. I, I think at the very end, he's like being invited to come on and like actually be a speaker or a speaking person, like a reporter for for a news station or something like that. So you have this like, do I sell out or do I? Um, uh, move into this, try to try to continue this filming, this film development and and stay true to my dreams and missions in that way. And I and I guess I lied about this. So this is another tick, tick, boom reference. Boy, it's great that we saw that movie before this. <laughs> I, 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 and I, I'm not a Larson biographer. Right. So I just I just have seen this movie, but very much so in the movie. Uh, Jonathan Larson is painted as a person who feels this moral weight of documenting the the life and death of his friends and this question that Mark faces about selling out or, or continuing to live in this life of uh, where he can experience and document and bear witness and and celebrate and all of these things um, that that is very much how tick tick boom is structured too for Jonathan Larson as a person in the world and and I don't think it's outside of the realm of of anything anybody's ever said before to say that Mark is the Jonathan Larson stand-in in this musical. I think yeah, that's more yeah. than clear. 
Yeah, I think I think so. I think that that's a pretty easy parallel to draw. Um, and uh, certainly some of the stuff that Mark is going through, uh, Jonathan Larson has uh, either either in biographies or in his friends accounts of what he was going through at the time. A lot of the themes were shared and 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 kind of carried through in this character. So there is this it's it's not really even semi autobiographical, but it is Larson speaking from these experiences that impact his life, his group of close, vulnerable, intimate people that he shares his life with that influence the story of Rent. But the other major influence on the story of Rent, and this is this is something I could have told you before this, but not in any kind of sense of, of how deeply embedded it really is, that, uh, and I'm sure many of you out there already know this too, that the Rent the Musical is based on an opera, Puccini opera, La Boheme. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, fascinating. It was, the opera itself was based on a novel as well, um, but the opera debuted in 1896 and Rent debuted in 1996, so a hundred years after each other, both in the turn turn of a century, um, and both dealing with really similar themes. Uh, uh, I mean, it it is interesting when you get into the plot of uh, sorry, I don't speak French, La Bohème. Um, the that that there's a lot of synergy there. There's there's a uh, uh, it's set in Paris during the tuberculosis uh, out, uh, epidemic over there. So there's a disease that everyone is dealing with. It's it's focused on this this group of friends together who are kind of making it by as artists in Paris. Um, and and yeah, there's just a lot of uh, even even like the first. Uh, I think we both looked at the synopsis of it uh, beforehand, and just like the first beats of Rent are very similar to the first beats look, of La Boheme. Just look up the Wikipedia page especially if yeah. you're very familiar with Rent, look up the Wikipedia page for La Boheme and have your mind blown. Right. You don't already know how closely tied the plot of Rent is to the plot of La Boheme. You need to know this. It may make you appreciate Rent even more than you already do, even if you're a huge Rent uh, fanatic. I mean, the the, the plot, the, Rent is, by no exaggeration, an adaption of La Boheme. It is that closely tied. It is not a new musical based on La Boheme. This is an adaption <laughs> of the story of the Puccini opera La Boheme and to the point like Rodolfo and Mimi are one of the main couples Roger and Mimi uh, the bad guy is Benoit <laughs> Benny I mean it's like it is very very closely tied and at the end of La Boheme the the Mimi character dies of her disease in this case it's tuberculosis in the original opera and in at the end of Rent Mimi of course comes back and if that seems like a little deus machina convenience to you it's I think important to understand it in context of it being a change on the way La Boheme ends and yeah. a sort of look at a brighter future, a better experience, a uh, more uh, uplifting experience than the, the tra tragic trajectory that Mimi is on in the original Puccini opera. I mean, understanding Rent in context of La Boheme, I think, unlocks a lot more appreciation for it. 
Yeah, yeah, we love talking about adaptations on this on this uh, podcast. I don't know that I would go as far as you uh, went with saying that this is an adaptation, but there's certainly adaptive features of it, um, and and uh, certainly there's new themes being played with as well. And it's just fascinating to see this story um, very similarly echoed um, centuries later with a lot of the same resonances, a lot of the same, like same same character names sometimes, same uh, issues that a lot of them are going. Through it just kind of adds this extra extra perspective to uh, the human experience that both uh, uh, La Bohème and Rent are speaking into. Yeah, and 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 like, there's just so many fascinating tie-ins and 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 things that make it like uh, the dog that Angel kills. That's yep. like a plot point pulled very directly from La Bohème that is. Uh, interesting. So it, one more interesting feature of this, this is something Jackson and I were chatting about before we started recording. So I'm interested to rebring it up in context of this conversation. The um, so so the the opera La Boheme by Puccini, based on a different novel, which is uh, like an 1800s novel called Scenes. I'm I'm English translating as I go. So forgive me. Scenes of the Life Boheme. What does scenes mean? It means it is a vignette-based novel. The original novel that Rent is based off of, you know, several times removed, is vignette-based. And just yeah. before recording this episode, before we turned on, Jackson and I were talking about how Rent is, in some ways, more vignette-based than sort of long plot-based. I mean, you almost could have pushed Rent further towards it being vignettes rather than trying to structure together this loose framework of a plot. Now, it's fine as it is, of course. Of course it is. Clearly, it's hugely successful. But we were just chatting about how interesting it is that it's sort of vignette-based. And then you go all the way back and you discover that the novel it's based on, two or three times yeah. removed, is a novel of vignettes. I mean, yeah. that's astounding. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah, the, the way that this script behaves is often, the, even even in the long uh, night that we've been talking about, the, the, the Christmas Eve night, there are these little break-off vignette scenes with in it. There's the uh, Tango Marine scene. There's the Will You Let My Candle scene. All of it kind of um, uh, uh, satellitely related to the ongoing main through line of the plot of that night. So yeah, this 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 play absolutely deploys uh, that 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 feature, and it is fascinating to kind of trace back its roots into the the kind of background of the story itself as it was written in the opera and the book before it. I think that is all the time we have, unfortunately. Rent yeah. is a behemoth of a musical, <laughs> both in its impact and in its story and in the music. I I can't fathom trying to write something like this. I mean, all credit to Jonathan <laughs> Larson. This is a monster of a, of a musical, just musically. Let it, set aside everything else that it is. I mean, it is, it's huge. So huge credit to him. But also it just means that we only had, you know, 50 minutes to an hour to talk about it. So our conversation, as always, falls short of the grand scope of things in terms of it's what rent true. is. true. Yes, yes, indeed. But fortunately, it doesn't have to end here. This is one of those times when I say, I know some of you have seen this or been a part of it or read it or listened to it that I'm being like 100% accurate. I know we know that this is a beloved musical out there. We'd love to keep talking about this play with any of you who have listened to this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about Rent with you. Absolutely. If you'd like to recommend our podcast, you can pass us on to your family and friends 
by sending them to Podbean, where we're hosted. Also Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Facebook. Just like our Facebook page and the link to the new episode appears every Monday. You can click and access it from there. It is as easy as that. So uh, next week, we're talking about another script. But until then, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast. We'll see ya. Where did we just end? What'd you just say? Uh, Something slowly trailing away about Mark. (laughs) (laughs) 